Tonight, Lord willing, we'll look into the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23 as we continue looking at the life of David. But before we begin in this chapter, I'd like to look at a verse that's found in Psalms 34, 19. When David himself wrote this, they said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, that word righteous sometimes can have reference to an individual, and sometimes it has reference to uh, a category of people. For example, in 1 John 2, 1, John says, These things we write unto you, little children, that you sin not. But if any man sin, let him know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, he's righteousness personified. Now, in the book of James, chapter 5, we find where it says, The effectual, fervent, righteous man availeth much. That obviously has reference to, uh, in this case, Elijah, but it can have reference to an individual, you see. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, you find a, a picture of the second coming of Christ, when it says, He shall come as a king in his glory, as a shepherd divide his sheep from the goats. He'll put his sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And then he had a message for the sheep, which says, Come to you, blessed my father, inherit the kingdom, we prepare for you from the foundation of the world. And then he tells them what they had done. And when he got through, uh, the Bible said, the righteous said. Here, the righteous are the elect of God, made righteous through the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They certainly, you know, it's a, it's a name for the family of Christ. But in Psalms 34, 19, he says, many of the afflictions of the righteous, that describes uh, a way of life that the righteous may experience if they're faithful to the Lord. And as I begin to look at the life of David up to this point, and just summarizing it uh, briefly, I see there was a time when he, as a soldier and a captain of the army, fought numerous battles against the Philistines. He never got any credit for it from King Saul, but that was all right. He wasn't in it for that. And then he fought against a single Philistine and Goliath the giant. And then we find through jealousy and envy, uh, Saul tried to kill him at least three times with a javelin. Three times he escaped. And then he escaped the messengers that Saul sent when he went to be, when uh, David went to be with Samuel. And then he escaped Saul himself. When he came, God gave him four deliverances in one location. And then we find where David took his eyes off the Lord for a short period of time got into some trouble and some problems, but the Lord didn't forsake him and delivered him. But overall, we have a righteous man in this man by the name of David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, you're going to see the very best of David. You're going to see the very worst of Saul. Now, he says many of the afflictions are the righteous. That could mean an individual. It could mean a category of people. In this case, though, the next verse tells me it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all, not a bone of his body shall be broken. That's why I know it's Christ under consideration. So David here is speaking about not only his own experience, but he's also speaking about the super David, we might say, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when 1 Samuel 23 opens up, we find where David receives some news that the inhabitants of a city called Keilah were in very much danger of being overcome and taken into captivity by the Philistines. Now, 
David has got his hands full just trying to stay alive. David's got his hands full, hands full uh, trying to find a place of safety because Saul has been pursuing him every single day. So his hands are full, right? But even though that's the case, he's thinking about this little town of Kilau where the Philistines are about to take into captivity. And so David is thinking about them. Now, if Saul had been thinking about them, as he should have been, he would have had at least a garrison of soldiers down there to protect them because this town was next to the Philistines. And the Philistines, oftentimes, especially at harvest time, would come down there and rob them of their harvest. All their labor, all their work, they'd been putting into the fields, you know, to obtain food for themselves. The Philistines would raid and take it away. But you see, Saul is so focused on David, he's lost focus on the rest of the kingdom. He's not thinking about anybody but himself and how he can catch David and take the life of David. So he has no men down there. Here's David being pursued and dogged by Saul on a regular basis. And he's got 400 men with him. He's got to consider them, take care of them. And yet during all of this, he still has time to think about somebody else, uh, his brother among the Jewish people. And so the Bible says, David inquired of the Lord. Now, seven different times in David's experience, you find that expression, that David inquired of the Lord. Now, that's another way of saying David prayed, but it's a little bit different because when he inquired of the Lord, he's asking the Lord a question. He's looking for guidance. He's looking for an answer. David inquired of the Lord as to whether he should go down there or not. Now, listen to the Lord's answer. And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Kelilah. Now, that's a very positive response, isn't it? In the Old Testament day, let me say this. In the Old Testament day, God communicated with his people in various ways. Sometimes he communicated with them through a dream. Sometimes through a vision. Sometimes by a prophet. And sometimes directly. Here's God speaking directly to David. Now, I've tried to pray, I hope, a lot in my lifetime, but God has never spoken to me directly. You know, I believe he's spoken to me through impressions, through burdens, uh, and a peace of mind, a consent of mind, so to speak. Uh, but he's never spoken to me directly. But he's speaking to David directly here. Now, today, that's not God's general way. Uh, Sister Karen Stump told me Sunday after church, you know, when I was speaking about uh, people with excuses and one thing or another not being at church, she said, well, I got one for you. She says, I know this man and woman. It was on Sunday morning, and she told her husband to get up and get ready to go to church. He said, well, I don't think I'm going to go. She said, what do you mean you're not going to go? He said, well, the Lord told me not to go today. Now, I guess that's, going to, that's a topper right there, right? I mean, that's at the top of the list. Now, you know good and well that's not true. You know, God did not tell him not to go to church that day. See, God's never going to tell you to do something contrary to what his word teaches. So in this day and age, we shouldn't expect God to speak directly to us. Not that he cannot do it. We shouldn't expect God to speak to us through dreams and visions. Not that he cannot do it, because God's not limited. But now we have a complete Bible to guide us. We have a complete Bible to direct us. 
And the Bible and prayer together will give us guidance here in this world. And God's never going to guide you contrary to his word. That's why he gave us the word, was, was to guide us. All scriptures give us inspiration of God, and it's profitable. But David didn't have an entire Bible. David goes directly to God, inquires of God. God answers him. He says, go and save them. Now, David's men are a little concerned about this. David's men know that Saul is after David, and of course, after David, they're after, he's after them because they left him and come to David. These are the men we spoke about last time. They're described as being in distress and being in debt. Uh, men, you know, that had, a, a, had, again, special traits and characteristics about them, they left Saul and came to David. So what does David do in verse 4? He inquired of the Lord yet again. Uh, this tells me that you can never pray too much and you can never go to the Lord enough about any kind of situation. So David goes back. Now notice David did not rebuke his men for lack of faith. He did not scold them by saying, well, I've already inquired of the Lord and the Lord told us to do this. No, he understands their concerns. So he goes back to the Lord again and perhaps he wanted a confirmation himself. So he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I, I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. Now the first answer was, go down there and save them. The second answer is the same thing, except he says, I, I will get the victory. He says, I uh, will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keliah. Now, I, will, I like to think about Ephesians 3.20 right here. When Paul wrote, it says, Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power of God that worketh in us. God's able to do beyond what we ask of him. He's able to go beyond our expectation. And that's what God did for David here. David inquired of the Lord. The Lord gave him guidance. Told him exactly what to do. He went down there. He saved the city. He destroyed the Philistines, so to speak. Won the victory. And he got cattle. You know him and his men have been hungry. How is David and his men eating in the wilderness? You know, a lot of times people don't think about that. That they had to have something to eat. And so God provided the cattle of the Philistines to feed David and his men. All right, that's three things he did for him. And then after this, notice in verse uh, 6, And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Kilalah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now, he is the son of the main priest that was killed by Saul. I think that's quite amazing. I know he knows that it was through David's interaction with his father that his father and the 85 priests were destroyed by Saul. And yet, he comes to the very man, to the very man that brought about the death, in a sense, of all those people. And he comes to him. Now, in the previous chapter, there's a man by the name of Gad that's a prophet. So now, David has a prophet with him, and David has a priest with him. That's very, very important. So that's another blessing. So God blessed him beyond his anticipation. He goes down there, 
God blesses him to win the victory. God blesses him to deliver the city. God blesses him to uh, destroy the Philistines. He takes cattle of the Philistines. Now he can feed himself. He can feed his family. And immediately upon return, here comes the son of the high priest that was destroyed and slain by Saul himself that's coming to him with the Ephod. Now on that, you got two things. you got the Urim, okay, and the Thummim. You got these two things, which represents light and perfection. And the high priest wore this, and these two stones on his breastplate symbolized that they had to have light and guidance from God, and also uh, he would give them perfect protection and deliverance in his providence. So now David's got that. So God did abundantly above anything that I think David was expecting. This also reminds me of Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, David had faith that God would deliver him. David, no doubt, had the same concerns that his men did. He's got 400 men with him. Saul has several thousand in his army. What if they met Saul and his army on the way? What if Saul heard they were going down there and now they would be trapped? You know, they had the Philistines to fight and didn't have Saul and his army behind them. But David believed God's word. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh unto God, that's what David did. He came unto God. But unto him that cometh unto God, it says, uh, you know, those who, he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. Must believe that he is and is a reward of them that diligently seek him. God rewarded David abundantly for inquiring of him and doing exactly what God told him to do. So we look in verse 7. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he shut in by entering to a town that hath gates and bars. Now, can you imagine Saul saying that? That God has delivered David into my hands? David, the righteous man? <laughs> Saul, the ungodly man? And he says, God has delivered him into my hand. When a man is walking apart from God, he walks in darkness. He may say anything, he may do anything. Uh, you know, when uh, Elijah had been hid from Ahab for about three years when a drought came, when the time finally came for Ahab and Elijah to meet, you know what Ahab said to Elijah? He said, art thou he that troubleth Israel? Are you serious, Ahab? The very reason you just went through a three and a half year drought was because of you, because of your disobedience, your rebellion, and your adultery. And he's got the nerve to put the blame on Elijah. And here we find, find Saul. The Lord has delivered him into my hand. See, up to this time, Saul has been having to try to find David in the wilderness. But now he thinks, well, now he's in this city. This city's got walls and gates and bars. I know exactly where he's at. I can go to the city. I can surround the city. I, I'll have him. God has delivered him into my hand. It's amazing how people use the name of God and use God to justify their, their, their talk and their actions and their behavior and, and their decisions and all these kind of things. The very fact he would say this is purely amazing. God had not delivered him in his hand, and you'll see this a little bit later on. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Kalilah to besiege David and his men. Now, Saul is going to the city on the pretense of fighting the Philistines himself. 
But the truth of the matter is, he doesn't care a thing about the Philistines. All he's interested in is David and David's men. See, Saul was a very deceptive man. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. He said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. Then said, David, O Lord God of Israel. Now notice the time when David praised to God, he addressed him by his covenant name. That was God's covenant name to the nation of Israel. O Lord God of Israel. It's important, I think, that you understand that as a child of grace, a child of God, that you have a covenant relationship with the Lord. In Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus shed covenant blood. What does that mean? That means that Jesus laid down his life and shed his blood for a covenant people. Jesus didn't die for everybody in general and nobody in particular. Jesus Christ died a particular death for a particular people. He died for his children, for his family. He died for those whom the Father gave to him in a covenant before time ever began. That's exactly who he came to die for and to represent. Now this is how David addresses God here. O Lord God of Israel. He's going to pray on behalf not of himself, but I think of the entire nation here. Thy servant has certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Kelala to destroy the city for my sake. Now he's coming down. He's going to end up destroying the city for, to get David. But he asked the Lord two questions. Will the men of Kelala deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant has heard? You might wonder, why would he ask that first question? He just delivered this city. He just saved this city. He just rescued this city. Why would he think they would turn on him? Well, they're going to. But he asked the Lord about it. Now don't, I mean, remember, the people in this city, they've heard about how Saul destroyed the priest, all 85 of them, because he believed that they had aided David knowing that Saul was pursuing him. They know all about this. This shows you the fear of men right here. It shows you the fear of men. But David asked the Lord this question. Will they give me up? Will Saul come down? David suspects this, but instead of just assuming or presuming this is going to be the case, he asked the Lord about it. Now, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 comes into play in all of this, I believe. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's what David's been doing. Lean not to your own understanding. That's what David's been doing. In all your ways acknowledge him. That's what David's been doing. And he shall direct thy path. That's what God's been doing. <laughs> God's been directing him, directing his path, because David's been applying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, I always put that verse in our graduate's Bible that the church gives them. I always put that in there. I mean, it's just one of those things that you need to memorize and try to apply every day of your life, and myself, of course. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. It's challenging to do that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. But listen, he shall direct thy path. That's a promise of God. You can't get any more sure than that right there. So that's what David's been doing. He's been applying that verse, even though he didn't write the verse, his son Solomon did. <laughs> so David didn't even know that verse apply, uh, is in existence, which, of course, it's not at this time. 
but it's going to be written later on. That's exactly what David is doing. Well, the Lord answers him. O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. He said, Lord, I beg of thee, tell me, answer my questions. And the Lord answers question two first. He says, he will come down. Well, this tells me, of course, that the Lord's omniscient. The Lord knows all things. He didn't say, well, you know, it's a possibility. You better be, be, be alert now and be on, your, be on your P's and Q's. It's very possible that Saul just might come down there. <laughs> now, that's the way man would answer, but that's not the way God's going to answer. God says, oh, he's coming. He's coming. In the book of Isaiah 46, 9, it says, I'm the Lord, there's none like me. I'm the Lord, there's none else. Declaring the end from the beginning. Only God can, that, only that can apply to God. Declaring, that is the future from the beginning. God can declare the future because he's omniscient and he knows all things that's going to happen down the road. So the Lord's not guessing about this. The Lord just tells me exactly what he's going to do. Then said David, and David's going to ask him again. Will the men of Kalilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. Now, don't you know that had to be discouraging to David? Don't you know that had to just put him down in the, in the valley of woe and misery? Here's a people that I risked my life and limb for. I didn't have to go down there. I got my hands full just trying to stay alive myself. Saul and his army is pursuing me, has been, is, and will continue to do so, and I risk my life, the life of my men, to go down to that city and to fight against the Philistines. And I delivered that city, but of course God blessed him to do so, and now the people of that city are going to deliver him up. The fear of man. They feared Saul so much. I understand that. I'm sure they probably thought, well, if Saul finds out that we've helped David, he'll slay us just like he did the high priest and those 85 priests that was with him. So the Lord gives him an answer to his question. Then David and his men, which is about 600, notice this. The last time the number of men that David had was given to us, it was 400. When he went down and fought, against that city, uh, fought for that city against the Philistines, he went down with 400, he came back with 600. He's got 200 more men that's volunteered in his army. That's another blessing that God gave him that he wasn't anticipating, you see. He's now got 600 men. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Kilalah and went whithersoever they could go. They didn't have a certain place. They, they had to find a place. They had to seek a place, search a place, find a place of safety. And he was told Saul that David was escaped from Kalilah, and he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Sith. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him not into his hand. Remember what we said earlier? What did Saul say? He says, God has delivered him into my hand. The Bible says here, God delivered him not into his hand. That's another way of saying that God delivered him out of his hand. See, all along, how many times has God delivered him? He delivered him with Goliath. He delivered him with the javelin. He delivered him with the messengers. Uh, he delivered him, you know, in his own house when his wife let him, you know, out a window because 
she knew that Saul was sending his soldiers to get him there. I mean, time and time and time and time again, God has delivered him. And once again, we see that to be in the case. And David saw that Saul was come to seek his life, and David was a will as if in a wood. And this verse has always meant a lot to me, verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Somehow, Jonathan knew where David was, but he didn't tell his father Saul. He didn't tell anybody. I'm not sure how he knew, but he knew. And he went and he found David. And the Bible says he strengthened David's hand in the Lord. Now, we're not told how he did that. But I just kind of got a feeling that he probably reminded David of all these deliverances I've just told you about. He probably said, David, don't worry about it. Uh, the javelin didn't get you. The messengers didn't get you. Goliath didn't get you. Philistines didn't get you. <laughs> you know? So he strengthened his hand in the Lord. I think that's what we need to try to do with each other. We need to try to encourage each other. We need to, to, to speak to one another in a way that encourages us in the Lord, that strengthens our hand in the Lord by reminding one another of God's promises and God's faithfulness and that God cannot lie, God cannot repent, God cannot change, and what God has said is going to come to pass. And like I said last Sunday, whatsoever God hath doeth, it shall stand forever. That will strengthen your hand in the Lord. I need to be strengthened in the Lord. And so do you. And that's what Jonathan did here. Now, this is the last time that Jonathan and David ever see each other. Jonathan's not brought to our attention again until the last chapter of this book when he's slain on the battlefield. But let's notice what he said to David. And said to him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. That's true. And thou shalt be king over Israel. That's true. And I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. That's not true. He will never be next to David. He will die on the battlefield. But he starts off by saying, fear not. Now, that's the difference in man saying fear not and God saying fear not. When you read all the fear nots in the Bible, and there's a lot of them, a lot of them, when God says, fear not, in the very next verse, he will always tell you why you shouldn't fear. And you can count on that. But he, I'm sure Jonathan was sincere. And two of the three things he said was true. But the last one wasn't. Because Jonathan didn't know the future. And Jonathan wasn't the Lord. So I'm going to take God's fear not all day long over man's fear not, Right? And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Then came up the Siphites of Saul to Gibeah. Now I'm going to skip a few verses here. I'm just going to tell you what's going to take place. He's in the woods of Zippeth. And the people who live there, they know he's there. They've seen him. They know he's there. And they say the same thing that the people of Kalilah said. We need to tell Saul he's here. They're going to give David up. And they're the same tribe that David was, his own brethren, in that regard. And they said in verse 20, Now therefore, O king, they're speaking to Saul, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. They're letting the king know we're loyal to you. They're letting King Saul know 
We're not for David, we're for you. They also know about those 85 priests that were slain, you see. So they're going to get on the good side of, of Saul right from the beginning. Saul's pleased with this. But then Saul says, give me some specifics, give me some details. There, there's a lot of caves, there's a lot of den, uh, dens. Uh, uh, the, the woods are massive out there. It's going to be hard to find him because he deals subtly. He says, David's a very deceptive man. And he said, okay, we will. And so this has a little period of time where Saul is just waiting to get a report back to where he can more or less know exactly where to go to find David. Verse 24. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south of Jezreel. Now David has left where he was at. He's gone not far, but about three miles away from there. Saul also and his men went to seek him. And they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. See, Saul's got his, he's got his spies, and David had his spies. And this is a report that's coming back. So now he knows he's left Zip. Now he's gone to Maon. And so he's now going after him down there. And they come to a place called the rock. That's important. It's a mountain there. Now, Saul comes to where David's at in this mountain. David's on one side and Saul's on the other. Here's a rock where two armies meet. Saul's got far more men than David. Saul's got several thousand. Men, David's got 600. He's on one side, Saul's on the other. And David's doing the best he can to escape at this particular moment. This is where David writes Psalms 54. Psalms 54. And he starts that psalm off by saying, Oh God, he says, help me, oh God. David got right to the point. David needed help, and he needed it right then. He's outnumbered. There's nowhere else to go. What's he going to do? It looks like Saul's got him now, right? It looks like Saul has him surrounded because it says he compassed the mountain, which means he divided his army, sent part of his army around one way, part around the other way, and that's just a, a, a matter of a short period of time. And he's finally going to have David. But he's not going to get David because God's going to intervene one more time. Just about the time he's got his hands literally on him, a messenger comes and says, Saul, the Philistines have invaded the land. While you're over here seeking David, you've left the land vulnerable. While you're over here seeking David, the towns of the kingdom and the land has been left vulnerable, and now the Philistines have taken advantage of it, and the Philistines have invaded the land. Now this word rock here means... Division. Saul's got a divided mind now. What's he going to do? Is he going to forget about the Philistines and go ahead and capture David and slay him? Or is he going to leave David and go after the Philistines? What's he going to do? You'll notice he doesn't pray to God about it. Every move David made, he didn't make it until he prayed to God about it. 
Every move David made, he didn't make it till he inquired of the Lord as to what he should do, and the Lord showed him what to do. Saul doesn't pray about it. Wouldn't have done any good if he had. God sent this messenger. Here we see the providence of God unfold in such a wonderful and glorious way, do we not? I mean, David has no way to escape. He's outnumbered. There's nowhere to go. He's surrounded. They're round about him. Now, I like this word roundabout. I use it every once in a while. It reminds me of the experience of uh, Elisha in 2 Kings 6 when the enemy... Uh, the Syrian army came down there and his servant saw, remember this is the story where the servant, see, servant sees the great army of the Syrians and he's greatly afraid and he comes to David, and, uh, excuse me, to, uh, to Elisha and, and Elisha just prays for him. Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And God opened his eyes and when he opened his eyes a second time, or opened his eyes rather, he sees a second army. This time this is God's army, but God's army is round about Elisha, so the Syrian army has got to go through God's army to get to Elisha. But in this case, Saul and his army is who is around David. So what is David going to do? There's nowhere to go. He's surrounded. He's outnumbered. He doesn't have the, the armor. He doesn't have the, the equipment, so to speak, or the, the, the soldiers, uh, all the things they had, the spears, all these kind of things, and bows and arrows and all. He didn't have any of those things like that. God moved upon the Philistines to invade the land at precisely this moment. The messenger comes. And now, isn't it kind of interesting to me that the Philistines was the constant enemy of Israel. And how many battles had David did against the Philistines? And God enables David's enemy to be his friend. <laughs> the very ones he'd fought time and time and time again. Now God uses them to deliver David. His own enemy is going to wind up being instrumental in delivering him and his men. So Saul and his men leave to go fight against the Philistines. And when he did, David and his men escaped. Without a blow being struck. <laughs> Without a blow being struck. God just intervened and did it. It's one of them, uh, uh, you know, I got this book. Uh, it's called the, uh, uh, the Extraordinary Providences of God. Uh, I just love it. I love reading about extraordinary things that happen in life that obviously it's through the providence of God that somebody had a great deliverance. I enjoy studying the providence of God in the Bible and I enjoy people expressing themselves and telling how God has been with them and blessed them and delivered them. I just love the stories, my friends. Where without God, we would have, I know without God, I'd have perished a long time ago. I've told you my experience a few times. I'd have probably drowned when I was 10 years old. Uh, I can give some other experiences. I know had God not been in the arrangement. I mean, my dad caught my hand and brought me up when I was going down number three. He doesn't get there when he does. You're not listening to me tonight. Okay? God just delivered him without a single blow. <laughs> no confrontation. 
No engagement. No battle. He delivers David totally and completely. Now, in closing tonight, let's look at that psalm I was telling you about. See, David's experiences is all written throughout the psalms. I think about Psalm 61, verse 2, as I'm turning to it. David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This, this, <laughs> this confrontation, this deliverance occurred at a rock. Moses said in Deuteronomy 32, 4, the Lord is perfect. He is the rock. His work is perfect. We see a perfect work here by the rock at a rock in which David and Saul confronted one another, David on one side and Saul and his army on the other, but David, his army has been split, it's coming around, in just a few moments of time, David and his men are going to be in captivity. But just before that happens, and this is the psalm, notice the heading in your Bible. A psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, doth not David hide himself with us? Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. When he says judge me by thy strength, he's appealing to the attributes of God. The attribute of God's omnipotence. Save me, O God, by thy name. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Those that were after David, David didn't even know them personally. They're the strangers under consideration. Then he says, Selah. The word Selah in the Psalms means to pause. All right, he's written this. Now he says, now let's just take a moment here. Let's pause. He said, behold, God is mine helper. Well, right now, David needs help. He needs divine help. He needs divine assistance. He needs divine deliverance. He's the kind of help he can't get from anybody but God. Either God delivers him or he doesn't. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. I'd say you had reason to, David. <laughs> I'd say you had reason to. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye has seen his desire upon mine enemies. David witnessed this miraculous event. He experienced it. He witnessed it. He saw it. And God inspired him to write Psalm 54. Now, when we study this, we need to think about our own lives. How the Lord is our deliverer how we need to inquire the Lord, how we need to trust in the Lord, how we need to depend upon the Lord. See, matters seem to get worse and worse with David here. Wherever he went, Saul was right on his heels. And he finally finds himself where, who knows, maybe just with a few hours, Saul had him. Oh, he has had him in his grasp. Can you imagine what Saul thought? I, you know, Teflon hadn't been invented at that time. But I'm just probably sure he probably thought, that guy's made out of Teflon. You can't touch him. <laughs> you can the sticks to him. Every time I've been right there at him, I about had him. And all of a sudden, something happens. And I can't get him. And this had to be the worst of all. I mean, right at the moment, he's going to put his hands on his neck. 
a messenger comes. Philistines invade the land. You better get down there. You're not going to have any land left. He has to back off and leave. And David and his men, they escape. As I said earlier, I think you've seen the best of David. You've seen the worst of Saul.